Welcome to church. Happy Independence Day. And uh, we're going to, we're in Mark 11 today. If you have your Bibles or your devices with your Bibles on them, get that going, fire it up. Uh, Mark 11. Did you know that we have a Bible reading app on on our church app? We have a reading plan and just the Bible right there. You can go to our app, which is on the screen right now. Um, you go to the church app in your app store and then look up Northwest Church Edgewood and it's all there that has announcements, that has our schedules and everything going on there. And it has the Bible. So you can even do it all right here, right now in that app. Somebody said amen. Convenience is good, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, to follow up with what Darlene was talking about, a summer mission is coming. This is, um, if you don't know, we are kind of sent out. We relaunched this congregation in November, and we are sent out officially from Northwest Church Federal Way. And so that's kind of our, our sponsoring church um, as we're getting this, getting this congregation going again. And they are sending maybe up to 70 people here Uh, They're going to be here for a full week, the 12th through the 17th. And really the main project is that building up there. We're kind of renovating, um, fixing some things in that building so that we can have a useful uh, ministry space. Again, a lot of things have happened over the years in that building. Really good things. Some of you here have a lot of history in that building. And we're going to make it, uh, we're we're getting it. Hey, that wasn't funny. Um, (laughs) I plan on telling jokes, but that wasn't a joke. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but we're getting ready for the next season of ministry here. And so, so the Lord's got more things for us to do. We want that building to be well-suited for that. And there will be some improvements going on uh, all around the property as well. So if you want to be involved. Now, um, there's been team meetings and stuff like that, planning going on for months. But if you want to be involved as a member of this church you can be here. You can definitely come and help. I just need to know you're coming because we got food planning and stuff going on for lunches. So I just need to know ahead of time. So communicate with me <laughs> so I can communicate with the food folks. Uh, you know, if you're going to be here, what days for lunches and that kind of thing. Um, but you are certainly welcome to be here and, and uh, lend a hand in the effort. Was I supposed to follow up on anything else? I don't remember. If it's important, it'll come back to me. I always say that, and then it doesn't. Um, <laughs> oh, it's kind of like if it's important, they'll leave a voicemail, right? All right, Mark 11. The first part of Mark 11. Are you there? I can't tell because I didn't hear any rustling of actual paper. And you got paper? Okay, all right, all right. Jan's got paper, all right. This passage here is well known. Uh, it's the triumphal entry, um, also known as Palm Sunday. And I'm going to call today's message a different kind of Independence Day. And we will see why here in a moment. This is Independence Day weekend here in the USA. We celebrate the day that our nation's founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence to make clear a clear statement to King George over across the pond in England that the people of the colonies no longer cared to be taxed and abused and looked down on as inferior. 
That's a very simplified view of things there. They were headed into a long and bloody war that they did not really understand what was coming. But this war was to enforce that declaration, and they, and they knew they were getting into a conflict. They knew King George wasn't going to be happy. The cost would, however, be far greater than they imagined. But in that moment, they were motivated and ready to take the risk. Today, we look back on their bravery, or if you will, bravado, and even the way that it was articulated and expressed, and we are grateful. We are grateful that God has indeed had his hand on our nation, protected us, and blessed us far beyond anything that we deserve, but he has nonetheless. Over the centuries, this breaking away and yearning for freedom from oppression is a common theme. So many countries have their own Independence Day. And they, on this day, they celebrate like we do. Maybe not quite the same amount of firepower uh, every year. But they celebrate, and there's food, and there's singing and dancing and all that stuff to celebrate their heroes and to celebrate their independence. Today is our day. We're reading out of Mark chapter 11, and the storyline comes to Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This was just before Passover, and it was just over a week, well, depending on the timeline you look at, could be the same week of his arrest, just days ahead of his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion. But the crowd that now followed Jesus, last week we talked about the crowd um, around Jericho as they were moving towards Jerusalem, a crowd was gathering. There's a lot of people heading up to Jerusalem for the festival. There's a lot of people following Jesus just because he was pretty phenomenal. He was doing things that nobody had heard of before or seen. The crowd that was now following Jesus did not realize that the destiny that Jesus chose was not what they thought he was going to do. They were riding high on a wave of emotion and and hopes for the future and that this Messiah would be their deliverance from Rome. You see, the Jews also were heavily taxed and abused and looked down on as inferior by their occupiers. They longed for the days of freedom when God would show the world that they, Israel, were his chosen people and that they would be restored to the prominence that they had in the days of David and then Solomon. As a crowd followed Jesus from Galilee down on the east side of the Jordan through Perea and then over the river Jordan into Jericho and then up through the wilderness through Jerusalem, there was a growing anticipation that this was the moment. This was it. This is where Jesus would announce to the world who he was and why he was there, and then begin a military campaign to eradicate the Roman occupation. They would soon be freed from their oppression, and they could feel it, they could taste it. They would be free from Rome and then any other nation who would try to rule them, and there had been a number over the years. Yes, Amen. That was somebody's Bible app that I told them to open just starting to read out loud in Genesis 1-1. So I will go ahead and own that one. 
That's not, that's not on you. Um, and it was good. It was good. <laughs> you got it. You got it, George. I got you. I got you. As Jesus neared Jerusalem, a couple, just a couple miles away, he sends his disciples to get the, the donkey. And here's where we pick up in verse 1 of 11. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found the colt tied at the door outside uh, outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the 12 since it was already late. This, the more I read this passage and the more I study it, the more I love it. There's just so many loaded things in here. So on the road to Jerusalem, they're coming from Jericho. They go up through the mountains and go, Jerusalem is basically up from everywhere. So the saying is, we go up to Jerusalem. You see that in the Psalms. Uh, We go up to Zion and up to the house of the Lord. Uh, They're really going up quite a bit. uh, Jericho is down in the valley, the same valley that the Dead Sea is in. So we're talking way down there below sea level up to Jerusalem. It's a long climb, it's a long walk, and they get up there. probably takes most of a day to get up there. Um, and as they're, as they're approaching, they're on, the, the road goes up and over the Mount of Olives and down through a valley called the, the Kidron Valley, and then to Jerusalem. You can see, so Mount of Olives is right across. This is where the Garden of Gethsemane is at. And this, just on the other side of it, if we got Jerusalem here, we move east. I'm trying to transverse this in my mind. We move, we move east across the valley, the Kidron Valley, the Mount of Olives, and on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, that's where Bethany and Bethphage are. They're right there, just very close, but not quite looking at Jerusalem. Southeast of Jerusalem, about two miles. So they get to Bethany, and then Jesus gives instructions to two of his disciples to get the colt from Bethphage. He says, the village opposite you right there, just go right there. They're two very close villages. The crowd is present. They have followed Jesus up to Jericho, many of them from Galilee and Perea, but also many uh, from Jerusalem and Judea. Scripture says that people from all over were coming to Jesus and following and kind of waiting to see what was going to happen. Jesus sends the two disciples for the colt. Which two? We're not told. Um, I like to think that whoever went, they took good old Bart with them. We talked about Bart last week, blind Bartimaeus. 
whom Jesus healed, and then Bartimaeus left his previous life and was now traveling with Jesus and following Jesus. All the things that he was seeing (laughs) for the very first time, just traveling with Jesus. And Jesus gave them an explanation for when people thought they were stealing. I thought this was very thoughtful of Jesus to to, uh, give them something to say because, you know, I mean, if in today's world, it would be like going to borrow somebody's car without asking. Now, if you do that out in the country, sometimes, you know, people just leave their keys in there because neighbors borrow each other's car. That happens all the time. Not in the city. Not in the city, that does not happen. Do not leave your keys in your car and, uh, and keep that thing locked up. But he gave them an explanation because somebody was going to say, hey, what are you doing? That's not yours. All right, tell them the Lord needs it and they'll send, send it with you. They'll give you permission. So either Jesus had a supporter in that village, which is likely somebody who said, hey, if you ever need anything, let me know and, and, I'll, and I'll line something up for you. And so that it could have been prearranged or it could have been that the Holy Spirit just told Jesus, hey, this is the way it's going to happen. And, uh, and it happened. Again, we're not told. Either way, they got the donkey. They got the donkey. Now, why a donkey? This is a very prophetic um, thing in Scripture. Because if he was coming into Jerusalem as a military Messiah, he might have chosen a different animal. He might have found a big horse. He might have found a, a stallion or a, or a military-trained horse, something that, um, that maybe the Romans would use. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. That means a young, unbroken donkey, a new donkey that nobody else has sat on. Jesus knew the scriptures and he knew who he was and he knew how he was supposed to make this entrance. And so he got a donkey. And there, then there are the garments involved here on the donkey and then on the street. They would have made a makeshift saddle on the, on the donkey with, with some cloaks and garments and, and that kind of thing, um, kind, of, kind of a cushion. That, and then they put Jesus on it. It says they put him on there. And um, this was a visual of a coronation. Not just, not just a practicality of a saddle, but also it was a visual of a coronation, a seat of honor, uh, comfortable, probably more comfortable than most saddles. And, and they had Jesus on there. And, and it was a spectacle of a coronation. It was symbolic of the king is riding in. That's what they understood this to mean. And then they put their, everybody else put their cloaks and their and branches that they'd cut from nearby trees and out in the fields on the road Um, seems kind of fun, seems symbolic, and we talk about it every Palm Sunday, but what did that mean? Well, this was the, the, I guess the modern-day equivalent would be the red carpet, the red carpet. They were rolling out the red carpet. We don't even want the the feet of the animal he's riding on to touch dirt. Like, he's that special. It was common for uh, dignitaries, visiting dignitaries or royalty for this kind of thing to happen, the cloaks and, and branches. Um. Palm branches are an interesting thing. Uh, I remember years ago going to a Catholic mass on Palm Sunday, and 
uh, it was St. Teresa's, and I was probably sitting with you, Molly, and, uh, um, and on the way in, they gave everybody a, a little leaf from a palm branch, and of course, in our row with a bunch of young people, we had everybody braiding, you know, tearing them and braiding them in every way imaginable and playing with them and sword fighting and, and all that kind of thing. Um, so palm leaves have definitely stuck with that day in tradition. Um, <laughs> a number of years ago, we uh, had a kids' choir at Northwest Federal Way, and uh, kids' choir for Palm Sunday was kind of our tradition. And we thought, boy, wouldn't it be fun to give them all palm, palm leaves? That was not cool. <laughs> that was not cool. I mean, what we discovered was their botanical razor blades. They're just really sharp. They're just, and so, you know, you, you're going to have blood right there, just, just like that. And so um, a few Band-Aids were used, and we went to artificial leaves the next year. <laughs> so they're good for walking on, and that's about it. Shade, maybe, but uh, palm branches. They were definitely a part of this procession and symbolic of royalty. From inside Jerusalem, there was also a bunch of pilgrims already there for the Passover. Everybody had been hearing about Jesus. Everybody was, was, was kind of on edge, and there was some excitement. And then they heard that he was coming. So not only is there a big crowd coming with Jesus, there's people coming out of the city when they hear he's coming. Hey, here, here's this Jesus. Here's this guy we've all been hearing about. And they came out of the city. So now there's a crowd in front, a crowd behind. It's getting chaotic. Everybody's excited. Everyone was swept up in the moment and started shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. The Hebrew word, yasa, comes from a root word which means to be spacious or ample or broad. The significance of ample space is applied to liberty in the Hebrew culture. You have lots of room. You're at liberty. You have freedom. And the opposite is implied when we're talking about bondage or oppression. It was, it was narrow. It was confined. You were not at liberty. So the root word comes from that, that spacious word. To set free, to preserve, to aid in victory. Greek, the Greek word is basically just a rough alliteration of the Hebrew word and is only used in Scripture in these parallel accounts here in the triumphal entry. So this ex exclamation of Hosanna is in the vein of asking God to be favorably inclined to his Messiah, whom he has sent forth in military war against their enemies to set Israel free and destroy her enemies. Talking about we need space, we need the Romans out. This is, this is the feeling. So where does this word come from? It comes along with the phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Both of these phrases come right out of Psalm 118. Psalm 118. I was reading Psalm 118 again last night, and just, we could read the whole thing, but it's a, li a little longer than, than I want to take time for. But Psalm 118 is a psalm of thanksgiving for the Lord's saving goodness. Hosanna is also translated as save now, especially in the Hebrew. It's a messianic psalm. That means it references the Messiah. It references Jesus in the time to come with reference to God saving Israel after a chastisement. That's what this psalm talks about. And it talks about the stone which the builders rejected becoming then the cornerstone. 
the very base and foundation for everything else to be built on. It's a celebration psalm. It begins and ends with, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. But listen to this. I'm going to read uh, verse 24, 25, and 26. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The phrase, and then then they add one more phrase. The crowd adds one more phrase, which Jesus never claimed, but they said it. Um, And they say, "Blessed blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David which means they're anticipating that national restoration to the glory days of David and Solomon. But the crowd and the disciples and the Pharisees and the scribes and the rulers, everyone who heard this knew exactly what was being said. They knew what they were saying or what they were hearing if they weren't saying it. And in effect, the shout was, it's time. It's time. We've had enough and the time was fulfilled. God, give your Messiah, whom you have sent, You have designated this time favor and strength to rescue us. Restore our nation to its former glory. That's what's being said. So if there had been any question about what was happening up to this point, there was no longer any question. The cat was out of the bag. You can't rewind that one and delete those sound bites. It's been said, and it's setting some wheels in motion here. All the wheels are set in motion for his arrest, for his execution. The rulers are really unhappy with hearing this phrase there. This really upsets the apple cart, so to speak, and they are. So this is where Caiaphas says it's better that one man die to save a whole nation because they know that this is going to be bad for them. (laughs) And then in an anticlimactic move, really anticlimactic move, Jesus looks around the temple and he goes home. Peace out, see you tomorrow. He just left. Mark just says he just just, just leaves. And I think in the Matthew account, he, uh, he combines the two events and he cleanses the temple there. That's going to be another message talking about cleansing the temple. But here in Mark, he just turns around and leaves. And I don't know what all the people did. I don't know where the crowd went, but Jesus left Jerusalem and went back to Bethany where he was staying, probably with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. So what does this mean for us today? It's a nice bit of history. It's fun to to think about and commemorate Palm Sunday. There are three points that I see that we can apply to ourselves today. Actually, I'm going to make it four. Let's just go with the Hebrew poetry tradition. There are three points that I have for us today, yet four will I expound upon. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? Six things that the Lord hates, seven things that, yeah, anyway. The first thing is to receive Jesus as our Savior and Sovereign. Just like the crowd did and the disciples did and the people of Jerusalem did, we need to actually receive Jesus as our rescuer. Actually make the conscious decision 
to rely on him for our salvation. This they had right. Some other things they didn't have right, but this they had right. They were not going to save themselves. Jesus was going to save them, and they knew that. And so they, they made a choice to celebrate him and to invite him in as that royalty. We need to give him the honor that he is due. Just like they spread coats and branches on the ground and put their garments on the donkey to form that coronation ceremony image to to throne him, we need to honor him as king, as royalty, as the boss of all the bosses. There is something of a, of a coronation ceremony when we, when we give our lives to Jesus. Seth was ministering this earlier as we were talking about taking other things off the throne, even ourselves off the central throne in our life and putting him in control. Because when you welcome a king in, he's the one who calls the shots. When somebody comes in, even a visiting dignitary, and in, and in this region, in this area, it would have been an authority from somewhere else because they were the ones in charge. The authority comes in and they make the decisions. They make the calls. If they want to change something, they change it. If they don't like this, they, they change it. If they, they, they want to build something new here, put up a monument here, they called the shots. They did what they were going to do. So when we invite a king in, that's what we're doing. We're giving him the control. We make him the king, him the ruler, him the boss. We step off that central throne of authority and give the place to him. We now defer to him and his authority. We respect him in that way. My goodness, we, we come up against this several, time, several times in this, in this study, but, but the gospel is not allowing Jesus into your heart so that he can help you live your life and be your co-pilot and you know, give, you, give you wisdom with your homework and help you make good decisions that give you an easier life. Um, that's not what was going on here. And that's not what we do when we give our lives because the language is we give our life as a living sacrifice to him. He calls the shots. He is the boss. Now, the people in this narrative did receive Jesus. They did. They, they welcomed him. They celebrated him. They called him his rightful name. They may have missed some major points on what he was trying to do, but they got it right on who he was. He was the Messiah. He was the king. So the first thing is we, as they did, need to receive Jesus as our savior and sovereign and that continually, continually. The second thing is set our expectations by his expectations. As parents, uh, sometimes we tell our kids what to expect uh, and we'll, it depends on the situation, but sometimes, you know, we're making a plan for the week and we will tell them ahead of time to plan for this or to be emotionally ready for, for, for this. And in many cases, them knowing that ahead of time is very, very helpful because it's not just, you know, bait and switch or changing things. And, and so they, they know what's coming, but sometimes you don't tell them sometimes, or sometimes you don't tell them everything. Right, Because either they don't need to know or it's just going to be a little bit too much and they're not really going to understand the level that you're trying to share with them. But sometimes when you don't share everything, they fill in the gaps with their own imagination. 
This is essentially what had happened with Israel over, over time, is in the things they did not understand, and then in the, the period of silence before Jesus came, they developed their own traditions and, and ways of thinking about the Messiah, right? So with our kids, when things don't go how they imagined it, um, then they have to, they really have to grapple with that and process that. And sometimes that's not a super smooth uh, process. <clears throat> uh, several weeks ago, we're making our summer plans and my five-year-old, who's in the other building, so I can, I can talk about her. Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> um, she really wants to go to Great Wolf Lodge. That's what she wants to do. Yeah. It's a great place. It really is. For a certain amount of time. And she, uh, she's, you know, that's, we're, we're making, we're talking about vacation plans. We're talking, and that's what she wants to do. And, and so I acquiesce and say, okay, part of our, you know, part of our summer vacation, we can, we can make that happen. Well, what she heard was, tomorrow we're going to the Great Wolf Lodge. <laughs> right? Now, that's not what I said, but there was a little bit of a gap and some vague areas in there when I said we can make that happen. And she's ready to go. Like, she's ready to pack. She's ready to find her wolf ears from last time she was there. And, and uh, she's ready to go. And so explaining, okay, whoa, 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 not yet, but we are, we, we will, we will go. That's a much more benign example of what was going on in this case. It's been a consistent theme through the gospel of Mark, um, and indeed the gospels in general, that Jesus was the Messiah, but that people had mistaken expectations about what that was supposed to look like. Jesus was there to save and deliver them, but he was doing so at a far deeper level than just a national liberty or a political maneuver. See, we as people, we want the practical stuff taken care of. We want our needs met, and we want the government to either leave us the heck alone or to take care of us when we need it. Isn't that a fun dichotomy there? Sometimes you can't have both. We want our liberties. We want to live life how we want to without any restrictions. We want pleasant relationships and society that functions cleanly and efficiently. We want government that is straightforward and honest and effective. We want people treated fairly and justly. But none of these things will happen with hearts that are not in relationship with their creator. None of these things are even possible if we're not in that place with our creator. These things can happen and can be fruit of hearts and lives that are in relationship with their creator. But his emphasis is that relationship, not the other things. If he is the king and the ruler, and we are honoring him as such, then we need to emphasize what he emphasizes. We need to want what he wants, not what we want. He defines, as the ruler, as a sovereign, he defines what is important, what's right, what's wrong, and our appropriate response is to choose what he chooses and to obey. We reset our expectations to what our sovereign expects. 
we want to understand what he's thinking and where he's going. This is a major process for us. This is part of our our refinement as disciples, as believers, is, is finding out what he wants and how he thinks and pursuing him in that way. Our Bible reading, our prayer times, this is the way that we enter into relationship with him. And this was the emphasis that Jesus had was that relationship. This was the expectation. This was the priority, the relationship. It wasn't the liberation on the outside. It was the relationship. And so to have that relationship, he had to deal with anything that stopped that relationship. Which brings us to our third point. There can be no real freedom. There can be no relationship if sin is not dealt with. We are created, in fact, to be in relationship with our creator. That was the whole reason that God made us. And if we are unable to do that, no amount of freedom or autonomy will make us right. A human will simply move from one slave driver to another. A human will move from one taskmaster to the next, freed from one tyrant only to be dominated by another, one addiction to another, one fear to the next, one tragedy and heartbreak to the next. The purpose we were made for is still unmet. Why? Because sin, rebellion, self-will is the barrier that divides that relationship that we were made for. That was why Jesus was here. That was the thing that he was doing. That was the, the freedom that he was bringing in that moment. He was taking it down to the heart level, which he always did. He never, I loved the way that Jesus never answered the questions that were, that were asked just at face value. He took it to what they meant and what the issues behind the question were. And he was doing the same thing here. He did what he always does. He was going to the heart. When he died for the sins of the world, he restored the way of relationship to the Father, the ability to fulfill our original purpose. He covered our sins. He removed the punishment for our sins so that we could be in relationship, which was his priority. That's what he was doing. Your job is not your purpose. Your hobbies are not your purpose. We know this, right? We, we know this. But sometimes it sneaks in and takes that place and becomes our reason for living, right? That's the thing we look forward to. That's our, our motivation. Our family, very, very important, but it's not your purpose, your contribution to the human race and to the world at large, not your purpose. Your purpose, the reason you were created, is relationship with the Father. At the most basic fundamental level, that's why you exist, because God wanted to love you. God wanted you to be in relationship with him. That's why you exist. And that's what Jesus came to restore. And in that moment, as he's riding into Jerusalem and they're celebrating and, and welcoming him as their king and getting ready to celebrate freedom, they had no idea what kind of freedom he was bringing. 
But he was enabling that relationship to be restored. That was his point. That was his thing. Our true freedom had to be secured. And now, on the other side, we can choose to walk in that. And the final thing, maybe my, the most encouraging thing for me in this, in this passage is that Jesus will respond and Jesus will enter in when you invite him, even if your understanding of what he wants to do is not correct. Even if you don't understand what he's supposed to do, even if you think wrongly, even if you've got your wrong priorities, he still comes in when you invite him. When the founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence, they did not fully grasp what they were signing up for. They thought it'd be a little easier. The Jews were very excited about Jesus being their Messiah, but they did not fully grasp his tact, his way of doing things, what he was about. But that didn't stop him from entering in. That didn't stop him from coming in and completing what he had set out to do in the first place. Jesus did everything that he did without people understanding it until later. It wasn't really until Pentecost that anybody had a clue what he was about the whole time. But that didn't stop him. He did it. He did it anyway. Your limitations are not his limitations. And he won't let your limitations become his. So let me offer you some encouragement as this has encouraged me. None of us think like him. None of us act like him. None of us naturally understand what he is doing or how he is doing it. We don't. But it doesn't stop him from doing it. It doesn't stop him from coming in. It doesn't stop him from engaging you in relationship when you invite him. It doesn't stop his purposes and the things that that he wants to do and, and the things that he wants to work in your life. His plans won't be stopped by your limitations. How many times have I looked back on a season and seen that God had planned and moved things and worked details even when I was completely unaware? I was totally not cooperating, (laughs) at least not on purpose. I was completely unaware of what was really happening. And that's very comforting for me. Is that comforting for you? Your limitations, your knucklehead moves are not enough to stop him. They are not enough. But Jesus will respond even with our misunderstandings. We are always, always learning more about who he is how he, how he thinks. The Holy Spirit is always revealing things about our own heart that are different from his and, and bringing wholeness and healing and reconciliation. That process will not stop on this side. It won't stop. And honestly, you know, sometimes it can be discouraging. Oh, I want to get there. I want to be better. I want to be more complete. But it's also super exciting to be in that process, to have the Lord show you things and be able to respond because of the relationship that you're in with him. 
Because that relationship is a very purpose and the most fulfilling thing in your life. That's your purpose for being here. So we take comfort that Jesus, even though none of those people had a clue what he was doing, he still went in. He still said, yep, that's who I am. I'm the king. And he took them where they were and he did what he needed to do and they got it later. Boy, am I glad Jesus does that for us. I just want to recap those those points. It's for us to receive Jesus, not only as Savior, but as sovereign. It's important to honor him that way and give him that respect and that place in our lives. We need to adjust our expectations to meet his. We need to see things the way he does and value things the way he does We want to focus on the outside. He wants to deal with the heart. He wants to bring freedom to to our souls, not not just on the outside. We need to remember there can be no real freedom if sin is not dealt with. And that's why he was here, to deal with that sin barrier, to restore us to relationship. And we need to remember that Jesus will still respond and will still join you, even if if you haven't got it all together, even if you, your thinking is messed up, because, because it is. <laughs> yeah. Seth, come on, come on up. We're going to take communion today. Kind of a fun day to take communion on the 4th of July. We are grateful for our national independence for certain. And all that that means for our way of life and the liberties that we have enjoyed for nearly 250 years. We remember what real freedom is, though, and who bought it. And as we celebrate today, safely, of course, we remember where real freedom comes from. It's not something on the outside. It's it's where our sin has been dealt with. And we can walk free of that. So we get to receive communion today. This is an incredible invitation. We have to, we have access to all that Jesus has done for us. And these symbols that we have, reminders of the things that he has done as we do this in remembrance of him like he commanded thank you we refresh our faith and our commitment to him and we are strengthened it's noisy there's nothing you can do about it just do it I'm I'm doing both of mine right away. These are the things that that bought our freedom. We have the, the little wafer. This represents the body of Christ given for us. The body that bore our punishment and removed our debt. 
He took the wrath of God for our sin and bore it in his body. He brought healing for our body and our soul. Lord, thank you for your body. Thank you for what you've done for us. We take the bread together. Juice represents the blood of Christ shed for us. The blood cleanses us and it puts us in right standing with God. This is the symbol of the new covenant. That's what Jesus said. Or our new way of relating to the Father that Jesus has provided for us. Now, instead of the sacrifice of animals to to be okay and not be punished, Jesus has done that once and for all. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. The word says that we have the law written on our hearts. It's not an external thing. We have the Holy Spirit with us all the time. This is the way we now relate to the Father. This is our new covenant. And Jesus, we're so grateful that you have provided it for us. We take the cup together. We do it in remembrance, remembrance of you. We are privileged above anything else to be called your disciples and your followers. Today, as we we go and have our various festivities, help us to, to be safe and wise, but keep in our minds what real freedom is remind us that that none of these external freedoms can happen if if we are not in relationship with you. This is where the source of all good things is, is you. So be with us as we celebrate today. And now as you go into this next week, may you be full of faith that pleases God. May you find yourself in places to create space for God to be God and to move be who he is. May you be full of the Holy Spirit and be equipped for the things that he has designed you to do from the beginning of time as we are on this mission together with Jesus to see the lost saved and disciples made. Amen. Amen. God bless you.